Hello, I'm Johanny Hockey, and I'd like to welcome you to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters, those who came before us, lived through the bitter struggles that life offers, and overcame them through the strength and grace of God. What I'm getting at here is that they can relate to our struggles. Sure, they're enjoying the freedom of heaven, and they want us there too. So we can rejoice that we have so many witnesses to the love of God, so many people to turn to when we're faced with an obstacle of life, and find ourselves unsure of how God may be working through it. Purgation is an uncomfortable theme in our faith, yet very important. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a saint who encountered many years of difficulty and helped us understand purgatory. She happened to even help me better understand the Trinity. So I ask, have you ever found yourself hurt by unfaithfulness? Or found yourself in a situation so overbearing you find indifference in your faith? Then may I introduce you to St. Catherine of Genoa. Play intro. Some of St. Catherine's patronages are those that you wish never needed to be. But we can be thankful that for those who do encounter these struggles, there are saints in heaven who can sympathize and lend their supporting hands. She is the patroness of brides, childless people, those in difficult marriages, those who are ridiculed for their piety, and those people who are victims of adultery and unfaithfulness. She was beatified on April 6th of 1675 by Pope Clement X, canonized on June 16th, 1737 by Pope Clement XII, and her feast day finds itself on September 15th. With these little facts now out of the way, I'm sure you are ready to hear her story. Catherine was born in 1447 in the city of, you guessed it, Genoa, which, fun fact, happens to be the city that Christopher Columbus was born. So, there you go. Catherine was the youngest of five, and was born to a very prominent family, the Fieci family. Yes, <laughs> I definitely pronounced that right. Now, to give you an idea of just how noble this family was, their bloodline produced two popes, Innocent V and Adrian V, and Catherine's father, Jacopo, eventually became the Viceroy of Naples. So, given that two of her ancestors were popes, it's quite easy to believe she grew up with a great instruction in the faith. Yes, she naturally took to prayer, and uh, displayed her proclivity to piety at a very young age. So much so that uh, around the age of eight or you know, so, 
she would partake in different penitential acts, you know, like not having a pillow or, or you know, whatnot, things like that. So, yes, she really took to this. Now, she actually ended up loving the, this life and was drawn to God and prayer that uh, when she was 13, she requested to join a convent of Augustinian nuns, uh, of which one of her older sisters actually happened to belong to. But Catherine was denied on account of her age. She was too young. Three years later, when she was 16, she became the bride in an arranged marriage to a man named Giuliano Adorno. Now, he was also the member of a very prominent family, and this was very much a political marriage that greatly benefited the two families. But Catherine suffered greatly. You see, Giuliano was very abusive, while the like details are sparse. We know that he had a temper, uh, he was very promiscuous, and uh, also financially irresponsible. Well, for five years, Catherine found herself in a deep depression, isolating herself in their home. And as if that wasn't enough, she also encountered major spiritual desolation, so that even matters involving God were just tiring, they were exhausting. Well, after these first five years, she knew she couldn't go on effectively living life as a hermit. Plus, there was pressure from her family that didn't help the situation. They viewed her isolation as very unseemly. So, she began to attend the parties and socialize. But she only felt more and more desolate. Five more years in this miserable state, and she found herself wanting it all to stop. She actually prayed to St. Benedict that by his intercession, God would keep her sick in bed for three months so that she wouldn't have to attend any more social events. Well, the day after this, the day after she made that prayer, sometime in March of 1473, she visited the convent where her sister was a nun. And Catherine was advised by her sister to receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation, which she did. But as soon as she got in the confessional, she was struck by a mystical experience, described as this, <laughs> quote, Her heart was wounded by a dart of God's immense love, and she had a clear vision of her own wretchedness and faults and the most high goodness of God. She fell to the ground all but swooning. End quote. Must have been kind of awkward being the priest there. Catherine ran out of the confessional, not even completing the sacrament, and locked herself away to spend several days in prayer. From that point, she made her firm resolution to give her life in prayer and service to the poor and sick much to the ridicule of the socialites she had been forced to fraternize with. Well, she now gave all of her time and attention to the hospital there in Genoa, called the Pamatone. Now, actually, around this time, her husband experienced his own conversion of heart. 
he committed himself to be by his wife's side and uh, serve the sick along with her there in that hospital. In fact, they actually lived there. To take things even further, they both took vows to live the rest of their lives celibate. So that's, uh, I think, a pretty good indication to just how great Giuliano's conversion was, and also highlights, one, the power of Catherine's prayers, but also her capacity for forgiveness. Now, these two served the Pamatone, and just remember that hospitals were very different places back then. Uh, they were effectively places for people to die. Uh, I, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but maybe not. There weren't exactly like nursing staff like there are today. So it was up to your friends and family to take care of you. So if they wouldn't, you would be in serious trouble. And plus, health regulations weren't exactly a thing. Now, medieval peoples were way more hygienic than we modern folk tend to give them credit for. But still, hospitals were highly risky nonetheless. Anyways, she tended to these people who would have otherwise been abandoned. Because she understood God's immense love for his creation, his people. She, through her mystical experiences in prayer, unified herself to God's love. In 1497, her husband Giuliano died, with his wife right there by his side. Catherine continued her work in the hospital, eventually becoming the treasurer and director, until she too passed away on September 15th of 1510. Her writings were collected by her spiritual director and published in 1551. Her spiritual insights, which include those found in her treatise on purgatory, were actually enough that during the course of investigation into her sainthood, the Vatican saw it fit that those alone warranted her the title of blessed. Which is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, there's the story of Catherine of Genoa. Now, what I have learned from her is the value of resilience. She was in a horrible situation for ten years. Her husband was abusive and unfaithful. She didn't belong among the socialites, even though she grew up amongst the upper classes. This left her with an immense emptiness, and though it would have been easy to blame God for it all, and I mean it's very possible that in her humanity she did, but she still displayed an incredible resilience. The day before her life-changing encounter with our Lord, she prayed for the intercession of Saint Benedict. While she didn't get what she asked for, she received something far greater, which was ultimately a purpose. I think this goes to show the importance of turning to our saintly brethren when life is beating us down, and that when we ask for intercession, we should make big requests, 
and we mustn't be afraid to do so. After all, our God is that of infinite charity. When we dispose of ourselves completely to him, we give him the room to spoil us. And here is where we get into the strange yet beautiful paradoxes of our faith. Joy in suffering. How can we say that God spoils us when he allows us to suffer? As I have come to understand it, when we get to suffer here on earth, we are being given an opportunity for purgation. Yes, a purgatory here on earth. Detaching ourselves from this world so that upon our deaths we can more quickly find ourselves in the arms of our Father. We should do all we can here while we have that opportunity, no? I mentioned before that St. Catherine of Genoa wrote a treatise on purgatory. She experienced visions of that place. And so this treatise is simply what she experienced, what she saw. It's a short read, and uh, something I highly recommend, as it contains fascinating insights into this spiritual state of purgation. One such idea that's pretty overarching is that purgatory is a place of joy. Now, as with each stain on the soul that is purged, one gets closer and closer to joining the communion of saints. She herself says it like this, quote, I believe no happiness can be found worthy to be compared with that of a soul in purgatory, except that of the saints in paradise. And day by day, this happiness grows as God flows into these souls, more and more as the hindrance to his entrance is consumed. End quote. Whoa. Now, if you will humor me getting slightly off topic here for a minute, I mentioned at the beginning that St. Catherine helps me better understand the Trinity. This is true, and it's thanks to her treatise. You see, the first thing she notes is that the souls in purgatory cannot think of themselves, or rather, they are incapable of self-love, as doing so would be an imperfect act, which is impossible in a place where one cannot sin. She elaborates more on this, but it did get me thinking. I thought... If it is imperfect to think of oneself, or to love oneself, then what about God, who is all-knowing? How could he know himself, yet still be perfect? Am I fixating on this a bit? Perhaps. But, in thinking about this, I came to realize that the Trinity then would be completely necessary. Yes, if self-thought is impossible in heaven, but God knows himself perfectly, then there must be the second person. God the Father knows himself perfectly in the Son, and vice versa. This love is so perfect and selfless that it begot the third person, the Holy Spirit. I feel like I'd heard this so much growing up in school, 
But it wasn't until understanding, thanks to St. Catherine, that if it were any other way, it would be imperfect, and therefore ungodly. Crazy. Right. So, resilience! To combine my thoughts together, I would say we can become filled with a divine resilience when we allow ourselves to be filled with compassion for our brothers and sisters here in this world. In other words, when we stop thinking about ourselves. <laughs> We've all been made with a divine love, created by a God who is always thinking of us and our well-being. If we dispose ourselves to that will, then nothing in this world can possibly tear us down. So, St. Catherine, pray for us. That does it for this episode. Remain resolute in the faith, and one day someone might just tell your story. Roll outro! Okay. No. Oh my gosh. What are you doing, bud? Or so she even began to uh, partake in. Oh my gosh. Why can I not think of it? You know, I'm afraid to set up this next saint because I recently just learned about him, and I feel like it's an embarrassingly quick turnaround. But, whatever. I will gladly talk about a saintly doorman any day. See ya!